Hey, hey buddy. Hey, Morris. What are- <laughs> We're staring at each other and both decided to start talking at the same time. Let's try that again. Flawless start. (laughs) (laughs) How you going, Dave Morris? I'm doing good, Jason Geary. How are you? I'm very well, mate. Very well. Conversation Uh, number four. We made it. Yes. We made it. Indeed. Uh, We had a day off yesterday. uh, And uh, around about two o'clock, I was like, where's my Dave chat? Oh, What's yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm that's, sorry. That's all right. I mean, it was my fault anyway. I originally said, no, I've got something booked on that day. And then, of course, naturally, it got cancelled. <laughs> so, oh, why did it get cancelled? I don't know. What, some, some, What's going like on in the world that's cancelling things? No, I don't know. Nothing Nothing specific. Just a general <laughs> malaise, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Thinks, yeah. Everyone thinks it's Christmas for some reason. I don't know why. Strange, strange. It's a weird (laughs) world we live in. I know. Uh, Yeah, so we're on conversation four. We still haven't run out of things to talk about yet. Not yet. That's a good sign. Uh, Uh, Yeah. And today we have a we have a topic that I think both of us are actually really uh, fond of and really uh, find important to not just our improv but who we are as people and uh, and and uh, the kind of people we are. So it's of course storytelling. Storytelling, telling stories. It's what we do. Yeah. It's what we do. That's it's, it's who we are. That's who we are. It's what we do as improvisers, as a as a tribe, a collective of 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 artists. Get on stage, tell stories. Yeah, it's what we do as theater practitioners. It's what mm-hmm. we do as comedians. It's what we do as everything, right? And, and and so it's it's super important to understand storytelling, the tenets of it, how it works, where it comes from, its history, different ways to tell those stories, uh, the yeah. mechanics of it all. So uh, much, yeah. There's so much, so much in there. Well, I um, think I think where we should start, because uh, it is storytelling, mm-hmm. is with our uh, our origin stories into storytelling. Cool. Uh, look, I yeah. Let's do it. Let's go with our origin stories. I I have in my possession a um, uh, book that I wrote when I was in grade six. So uh, the last year of primary school. Not sure what it's called in America or Canada. I would have been maybe kind of, you know, 10, 11 years old, something like that. And uh, I wrote a satirical version of Star Wars um, and and illustrated it. <laughs> um, and uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, I think my, I might have even been younger, but I, I have drawings of Luke Piewalker and, and it is... It is a pie, a meat pie with arms and legs and a head that looks like Luke's. Um, and uh, I, I tell you what, satire came to me very naturally, very early. <laughs> and so I remember, I, I remember uh, rewriting the plot of Star Wars with uh, various lame ten-year-old puns and getting an A plus for it, and thinking, "Cool, man, this is great." Um, and so I, I. Um, I started working with satire and uh, and comedy at a very young age uh, and probably got encouraged uh, a little too much to the point where uh, my teachers in high school were like, don't be such a comedian all the time. Please stop. Uh, and and, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, they, <laughs> they, uh, they, I think they copped the brunt, the broadside of, of that whole thing. But it only took, it took a couple of teachers – Literally in year ten or eleven, so my the start of my senior years, um, to actually say no, this is a job. Storytelling is something of value and something that you can work with. So my literature teacher, my English teachers, and my drama teachers encouraged me to tell stories, to write plays. In fact, my uh, my drama teachers, who I'm still friends with to this day. Um, and see at least once a year and, and communicate with regularly online. Um, asked me to write the year twelve play when I was when I was there. So, um, so I was encouraged right the way through high school to write and 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 create stories. Um, be it a uh, 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 you know ten year old satire right the way to <laughs> through to creating my own uh, uh, my own plays and productions and stuff like that for one act play festivals and things like that. So that's kind of my origin story. It just feels like it's been a part of my life for ages. And I grew up 
like most of us did in front of the TV uh, and in front of films. And so, sure, yeah. By you know, even compared to my parents' generation, uh, by the time I was the same age as then, I'd consumed so many more stories than they had at that same age, you know. Um, and so I was raised by stories um, and through television, through movies, that kind of thing, a reading as well, but generally through a visual medium. Uh, and as I got older, through plays and theatre. Sure. How about you? That's cool. Um, yeah, no, uh, uh, I just want to say I think it's funny that you started out by satirizing Star Wars because uh, everyone yes. else has just been rewriting Star Wars ever since too, so you're not the only one. Like, it's <laughs> yes. the same. Let's keep, let's, how many other kind of... Star Wars, can we tell? Um, <laughs> but you should satirize the the latest one, too, just to kind of like bookend oh, yes. your whole life as a storyteller around Star Wars. Well, it, it would be great because uh, Luke Piewalker and the rise of Skywalker. It, I mean, there's a dough puns uh, plenty right. right there. <laughs> the rise of Piewalker. It's perfect. Um, yeah, that's funny. The, uh, my origin story is very similar, I guess, into storytelling. Although it's, it's funny because I wouldn't have said I was a storyteller or into storytelling until like probably when I graduated from high school, when I was finally like, yeah, mm-hmm. I do like stories. Uh, but grow but looking back on my life, it was like all, all my play from a very young age was like imagined storytelling in my own little world. Right. Uh, playing mm-hmm. with GI Joe figures and stuff, telling my own stories. Uh, but mostly it was like, uh, I had a group of friends. One of them in particular was a big nerd. And so read like lots of manga stories and stuff. And so we yep. would go and, and create our own stories in the woods all through elementary school or primary school. Yeah. Uh, and we would make up our own stories in in the woods, playing with sticks and fighting and stuff, and just create these characters with these backstories and these like you know, uh, villains we had to fight. And it was all about this imagined play uh, that was all very narrative-y, narratively driven and stuff. And of course, I grew up mm-hmm. watching TV and movies too, so that would find its way into, into our stories and stuff. And I didn't stop playing with G.I. Joes. This is something that I'm admitting right now for the first mm-hmm. time in front of the audience. Mm-hmm. Until I was like 17 or 18 years old, when I right. finally was like, I should stop playing with these now. Um, why, why did you stop? I think I just, you know, I started having like, you know, serious girlfriends that would like spend the night right. at my house. And if I right, had right. G.I. Joe's at the bedside table when they spent the <laughs> night, there was like explaining to do. So right, <laughs> they right. just kind of drifted into drawers. I still have so them. So G.I. Joe's were your, were your, uh, your poison of choice or did you, did you branch out? I mean, I had Masters of the Universe and, and wrestling figures basically oh, yeah, were yeah. my... Yeah, I had uh, some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, figures uh-huh. uh, and some Masters of the Universe figures as well. Transformers yeah. not really Star a big thing in my house for some reason. But, nah. you know, Lego, you know, all the things. Um, so, like, it was always growing up that was a big part of my play. But it wasn't until high school when I finally found theater and started realizing that this is what I want to do. And the title of storyteller became something that I, like, looked at as, as like, a, a beautiful thing to be. And so wanted yeah. to be referred to as that at one day, one day in my mm-hmm. life and eventually uh, got there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I think, uh, I think people come to improvisation for the lols, like for the, for the, you know, to be able to, to, to have a good time, to be able to perform, get up, make the jokes and stuff like that, but very quickly realize that there's such a, a, a layer in there that is, solely the art of storytelling that that yeah. you need to understand um and uh and i'm often surprised by how many improvisers have done no work on understanding the craft of story uh, mm-hmm. and they may be naturally good at it it's not to say they're terrible at, at, at what they do at all um but have done no work on on understanding story or or, or um its complexities or how it work or, or looking back through story over time or things like that so mm-hmm. some of the workshops that i do are specifically narratively based just just to get people to have that little focus for a little while um yeah. so i've been lucky enough to teach a lot of narrative um to people who uh, ha- haven't probably dug uh, as deep as as they they could have before, and it's really wonderful to see their eyes kind of light up when they kind of push through that shroud and go, oh wow, there's a lot here, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and a lot to understand, and a lot I can be working with, and all of it's going to make their work better. Yeah, um, you know, just a general kind of understanding as well. 
Yeah, there's a lot you just said there that I want to touch on a bunch of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with, I think, the first thing you said about uh, improvisers coming for the lulls and learning about the stories. Yep. Because uh, I think I, I think what you said there is, 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 uh, is totally true. And I think some improvisers still don't get past that lull stage. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and not because they don't like they don't understand that it's there or anything like that, but that they have this block in their brain. And this is a phrase I hear all the time. I'm bad at story. I don't, uh, uh, a story's hard. It's too hard. And I don't want to, I, I can't, I can't do story. Uh, and yeah. I'm good at character and they'll like decide that mm-hmm. that's what they're good at. Uh, and I think they're, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's unfortunate Yes. Because everyone's good at story, uh, but they've managed to convince themselves that they don't understand storytelling. Yeah, and and great storytelling. As I've gotten older and 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 done this more and more and more, I've come to understand that great storytelling in improvisation comes from the character. So mm-hmm. if you if you have strong character wills desires that contrast each other then that's where your story is going to come from. So saying yeah. I don't understand story, but I love character is like, well, the, just understand that you committing to that character and playing the truth of that character is what is creating the story. Um, yeah, exactly. You know. It's like he saying I'm bad at story, but good at character is like saying I'm bad at story, but I'm good at story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people just put that those blinkers on themselves. Um, yeah, but what it ends up doing is putting them into a place where anytime it's like, a story offer is made or, or, or some or the note is something about storytelling. They, they blank out like, well, I just don't get story. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. Uh, and it's, it's a, I think it's unfortunate. And I think it's something that it's, it's more improvisers convincing themselves they're bad at it and yeah. not that they're bad at it. And then there's a difference between uh, plot and story as well, which is something we can talk uh, a little bit. Yeah, stick a pin well, let's, let's in. get into that right now because uh, I, I okay. think it's cool. a, a very cool. it's a super important fact. Yeah, that that again helps cause that block in improvisers' brains because the plot is always looked at as bad in improv. Yeah, and and so when I say the difference between story and plot, what does that uh, what does that add add up to for you? Like, what does that equate to? Uh, plot being like the, uh, the points that need to be hit in a story. Yep. Yep. Uh, whereas story is the overarching, uh, arc of the whole piece. Yeah. I tried to do it as simply as possible. Was that good? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's spot on. I think improvisers confuse plot and story. And so they, I think when an improviser is plotting, they're thinking about where they want the story to go down the track yeah. so they're putting those signposts there and when you're doing that when you're plotting a story you are you are taking yourself out of the scene you are trying to bulldoze uh whatever's happening into the scene to go towards where you want the plot to go so you're not remaining open to the story that wants to be told um because you've you've just kind of in your brain or or uh, just because maybe you understand story or you're trying to do a certain type of story, you go, well, this is what should happen next. And so you get this plotty, I like to think of a, a plotty improviser as like a puppet master improviser, like someone <laughs> hovering <laughs> above the stage, seeing the story from the outside, kind of moving pawns around. Uh, and of course, if that that's one thing that can instill panic because if you have a plot idea and the story doesn't go that way, and you're trying to push that way, uh, you're going to get miscommunications between players. Maybe the person who expected it to go that way will, will panic and freak out because it's not going how they want it to go or how they expect it to go. And that's when you really start missing offers and, and it, it goes neither to that plotty place or follows the story down the path it it wants yeah, to go. The way, yeah, the way I like to, he, to think of it, I think it's a, I think it's a Randy Dixon thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy gets so much talk, talked about so much on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but he, um, that story story structure is a map to tell you where you are, not mm-hmm. where you're going. Yes. That's, that's, and so like, that's the thing with plot too. It's like understanding, like knowing plot points is good, but plotting the plot points is where you get stuck as opposed yeah. to just recognizing that like, oh, we're in this part of the story. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. It's good to notice that. 
Yeah. But then you play I, that part of the story. You don't move to the next part. Because that's where I think with the plotting, you get in trouble as you start going from point to point to point, and you're you're always heading somewhere. And so you're not really mm-hmm. enjoying what's happening right there in the moment. And that's yeah. where the, the beautiful part of the, the the story is. Not just mm. the plot, but the story, the actual Well, like, that's where the characters the whole come thing. to life yeah. and the relationships build. So plot is a part of story. It, it's not the story. Yeah. You, know, the, you need characters, relationships, stakes, um, you know, emotion. All of that is a part of story. Part is, the plot is just one part of that. For me, the difference... Uh, when I'm uh, explaining it to students quite often is the idea of plot is telling the story from the outside in yeah, and, and and storytelling is is trying to feel the story from the inside out mm-hmm. um, so you're, you're the story is driving the character's decisions uh, and when you get to the end of that story you look back and you have a completed story but if you're a plotty improviser then you're trying to make things happen you're you're outside the story pushing yeah, pieces it's, around it's similar to music theory in that sense where like music theory is an analytical tool that you apply to a song that's already been written and you break down mm-hmm. how it moves from chord to chord and all this stuff but when you're playing music you don't play like you don't think from a theory perspective you just play music and it sounds yes. good and it feels good and it works uh especially improvising but like just you know you're just playing a song uh and then if you wanted to you could look at it through that theory lens and that's where it it, it gets into what i would think of as plotty you know where you're looking for like the motions within the, the yeah. song instead of just how it feels yeah and and i think that that those signposts are fine to feel on the inside like ah we're here we're doing this genre and we're here in this type of story mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go to the next point the next point yeah next and i think point. they're they're good to know and this is i think it's it's mm-hmm. uh, the thing I, I always find with storytelling is that teaching storytelling in like a 2 hour workshop even a 4 hour workshop mm-hmm. is not really enough time to internalize of the the concept of storytelling like yes. especially if we're going to talk about structure or plot like stuff like that like I, mm-hmm. I can tell you those things but in this workshop don't even think about them because it's just going to make yep. your improv bad but so it's one of those things that it's like what's made me a better what's made me such a a, a, a good story improviser is that i just know story like i just know mm-hmm. it i can't not recognize it when i see it and I'm in a scene. I see it, and I go, "Oh, nice! This is uh, this is a story happening." Uh, and I let it happen. I don't plot it out, but I like notice mm-hmm. it the same way, you know. You you'd notice uh, uh, you'd notice a genre offer, right? If someone makes mm-hmm. a genre offer, I know that genre. I see that offer. I know what genre you're doing. It's like that with story as well for me. I see an offer. I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is we're moving." Oh, so we're into this part of the story now, and then we go there. Yeah, right. Uh, and yeah. yeah, and I think that's just something that's hard to teach in a four hour workshop. Because it gets people mm-hmm. right in their head as soon as you start saying, you know, you got to start with the, uh, with the in- introducing the characters and introducing the theme and introduce whatever your whatever your structure you're using. It's like now we're all thinking about that and it ruins the improv. So a newer improviser hearing us say we kind of just feel it because we know story. What is uh, what are the things that in those moments we're understanding that pa- that perhaps we can offer to someone listening to this to go and help them understand story a little more? Yeah, cool. That's a great question. Whew, boy. Uh, <laughs> I would say uh, to start with uh, the two that I often recommend to people because they're two very different looks at the almost exact same structure is mm-hmm. to look at Joseph Campbell's monomyth yes. uh, and the hero's journey. Uh, for It was, it was a very academic... Uh, based, really dense. I highly recommend finding like a uh, someone else's write-up description of the book because the book is so hard to get through. Uh, yeah, there's also a book called The Power of Myth, which is just him in conversation with someone, which is a much easier. Read. I have read it. Yes, yeah, much easier read than than the hero's journey. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the other one I recommend is Save the Cat, which is the uh, screenwriting uh, structure that uh, Blake Snyder broke down mm-hmm. and plotted out. And those two basically hit the exact same arc, except Joseph Campbell's is like really like over the top articulate and like academic. And you read a page and you have to like go read in a whole nother book just to understand that page. 
Yep. And then Save the Cat is like really watered down and kind of like, kind of like too shitty. <laughs> like they're yeah. two extremes. Uh, so if you know both of them or at least look at both of them and you kind of find like a middle place is like a really nice uh, uh, overview of storytelling, especially because of the world we live in today where so much story is influenced by film mm-hmm. and films are so influenced by those two uh, storytelling methods. So like yeah. Star Wars, the first book you ever uh Wrote. Set right. <laughs> Wrote. Uh, <laughs> uh, was based on Joseph Campbell's uh, monomyth. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, that was what George Lucas used to plot out the whole story. And so, so it, and, 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 and since it came out, it's been, it's hit Hollywood even more than just Star Wars. Like, all, yes, all movies kind of are, are yeah. falling into that structure. Nowadays, we're getting out of it a bit, but it's still there. And especially if you're watching a lot of movies, you're going to see a lot of the same structure. And so, Having those two books, and then when you start watching movies, you go, oh, I see it. It's right there. Here it is. Oh, yeah. there it is. Oh, here's the redemption of the father. Oh, cool. There it is. Yeah. And you start seeing those moments, and then you just know those plot points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, what would you, what would you I, say? I, 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 yeah, Joseph Campbell is something that I've read a lot of uh, in regard to story theory. I've read my fair share of, of Save the Cats and other screenwriting things. Yeah. Uh, I had the pleasure of uh, working uh, and uh, reading with and going to a weekend long workshop with Robert McKee oh, uh, really? a bunch of years ago now. Uh, he came out here and uh, I spent uh, a good thousand dollars or so to go and spit, uh, spit, go and sit, go and spit on Robert McKee. Get out of here. <laughs> I go uh, spit, spit some rhymes <laughs> with Robert McKee. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so go and sit uh, with Robert. Robert, Robert McKee and about you know three or four hundred other people. He literally uh, rented out a cinema uh, which was full to the brim. Um, wow! And uh, and but with you know great Australian talent like uh, lots sure. of uh, screenwriters from here. Uh, I, I've been in the industry here for a long time, so I'm lucky that people kind of know me. So on one of the breaks there, I was uh, standing with Jeffrey Rush. And he's like, "G'day, Chase. How you going?" And I was like, in the back of my head, I, I always like, "Oh, Jeff. Hi, Jeffrey." Because he's a Melbourne guy. We've, we've kind of been moving in the same circles, but it's just like nice. I'm just like, oh, I always get like a little buzz when someone like that's like, "Oh, g'day, Chase." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, playing it cool on the outside, like, hey, finding it. Yeah, it's really great." <laughs> in the back of my mind, going, "Squee, squee, squee." Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was full of people like that. Um, and uh, I think there's, I think there's a movie adaptation which is uh, Charlie Kaufman's mm-hmm. script or film, uh, where a Robert McKee is uh, at the key, uh, a key plot point in that film, and his book is uh, Nick Cage is trying to make sense of his own narrative, and whether you know his uh, his film character and himself are, are following this same journey as well. The book is called Story. Um, it's not a book, it's a book about screenwriting. It's not a book about improvisation, but what I love about it is as I was doing it, there was so much relevance to improv, not all of it, but, uh, so much relevant to improv that it became something of a Bible to me in the way I teach narrative as well. Um, what I like about the book is it's not a how to book. It's a, it's kind of like a mechanics a mechanics version of story, breaking down of stories. So it's not telling you how to write something. It's not saying go and do this here and end of act one is this and start of act two is this. It's saying this is how story works. This is how we generate story. This is how um, this is uh, what happens with characters here. All of that sort of stuff. And all of it's quite cold uh, in, in its presentation. I kind of, uh, when I'm trying to explain it to people, it's kind of like, um, if you get a car, in uh, you you'd find manuals on the how to how to fix the car or change the windscreen wipers or something like that, and it feels like that about story. You know, it's just a kind of matter of fact. Here's how the mechanics of this work. If you understand these mechanics, you'll be able to tell great stories. Um, yeah. So it's not dictating to you how to do it it's just breaking down things so it breaks down scenes from chinatown uh when he was over he was breaking down scenes from um from things like fight club casablanca and he was talking about a bunch of different things not just story but visual language and and things like that as well um in his uh in his presentations but the stuff that really resonated for me in improv that that i try to teach a, a lot about is 
understanding the protagonist and and the role of the protagonist and who the protagonist is mm-hmm. and understanding cast design mm-hmm. so uh and and that's you know that will change in different genres and styles but understanding how a cast works around a protagonist a lot of the time when improvisers are telling improvisers are telling stories or, or shows that that I've seen, there's a bit of a mix-up as to whose story it is. I mentioned in another yeah. podcast that that my mantra that I try to teach my improvisers is whose story is it and how can I serve that story? Yeah, and that's not to say that you go in there and you're the best friend and all that sort of stuff. If you can see that it's this person's story and they've already got a love interest or they've already got. Uh, a um, a mentor or something like that. Whose story is it? How can I serve that story? Well, mm-hmm. now they need an adversary. Yeah. Now they need, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, an antagonist. So, so I'm going to come in and be that to the best of my ability. Um, so there's yeah, great sections in McKee about the function of all of those things, the function of a protagonist. What Mm -hmm. should a protagonist be? A protagonist should be empathetic, not sympathetic. You know, just little things like that, little rules for Mm -hmm. the protagonist. That's cool. Uh, And so I find find that a really great resource to, to bring into improv because it's not prescriptive. It just helps you understand the the gears and cogs and then you can start playing with how you put them in. Yeah, and when you watch a moment, you can go, "Oh, I see what's going on." Yeah, right. And yeah. that's that's all. That's what you want. You want to have that uh, that better uh, lens to look at things through, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily lens to uh, think about and make choices through. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, yes, like yeah. knowing it's the knowing. It's the difference between replicating a story that you've seen and telling a story in the sure, style yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just that it's that difference between trying to make a choice because there's a place you want to get for people and seeing the mm-hmm. choice somebody else has made and go, "Oh, I see what that means." And yeah. like knowing what it means. That's that's all it is. Just it makes you a better uh it gives you a better understanding of what's happening, not a better way of making things happen. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. Maybe it's too- Yeah, yeah, I uh, I mean, if you're making things happen then you're in plotting mode exactly you know? yeah so you, you want to arm yourself with the skills to sink into the moment to go this is what the serve the the service that this scene is providing to the story is this i'm not making that happening i'm just playing that to the fullest right now so you understand in the moment you're not you're not trying to get to the next moment you know yeah i think that, uh, and, and i think that's something that people uh have problems when someone finds like you say you're a narrative improviser Mm-hmm. Or you like story, like, oh, narrative. Well, we don't do narrative here. Uh, is they, they have this uh, look at it like uh, anyone who's doing narrative is plotting yes. and trying to push things forward. As opposed to what I think of as anyone that's doing narrative is trying to make sh- just make choices based on what's happening. Like just like yeah. paying attention and, and leaving the audience with, a, with something that is complete, not something that just ends on the best mm-hmm. joke. Yeah. Yeah, what's yeah, that Keith uh, Johnstone? Yeah. Keith Johnstone has that quote, uh, the improviser who fails to tell a story is is uh, chained to the treadmill of finding the next joke. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love that. <laughs> Just that chained to the treadmill of finding the next joke. <laughs> like you have to keep finding jokes. And if you don't, you're it's over. So yeah. like, like uh, with a story, it's like, no, no, no. We're doing a story. There'll be some jokes, sure. But if there aren't jokes, yeah. there's still a solid foundation to whatever's happening. Yeah, and there's there's another very famous part of the McKee kind of mantra, I guess, or the, the McKee approach, which he calls the gap. Um, and the gap is where story exists. So in mm-hmm. your mind's eye, imagine a protagonist is a, com- a comet tra- traveling through a story in one direction with great speed, uh, great motivation, whatever they want. So, um, uh, and so, if, if we take our favorite uh, Christmas movie, Die Hard, as an example, yeah. you know, uh, John McClane wants to celebrate Christmas with his wife, right? So he's traveling in this direction there, uh, and then uh, he a really great thing that I uh, encourage improvisers to to look at is he espouses three levels of antagonism right, in a story that should all be operating at one time ideally. 
So mm-hmm. there is internal antagonism, so the doubt within the character. Uh, we can do that in Im- improv or theatre by monologues, you know, uh, or even just chats with other characters, um, you know, letting that out and letting that, that visualise. Of course, we can just act it, but we can speak it through too. Interpersonal antagonism so your mm-hmm. traditional bad guy good guy bad girl good girl um bad person good person um and uh and then environmental so what is the world what pressure is the world putting on them so you know nakatomi tower is your environment uh uh you know the the fact that he, you know he's beat up and just wants to to love his um his wife and he's kind of over all this and and just kind of wants to give up but has to push through is is the internal and Hans Gruber is is the interpersonal you know and then and then and, the the tower he's got no shoes on there's broken glass yeah. everywhere he's got yeah, yeah like he uh, uh, the so whole the environment's environment. acting on him the whole time so the 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 vision the image is that you've got the protagonist going one way with energy and you've got at least one force of antagonism at a time coming they don't have to hit at the same time but they need to all be operating at the same time and uh, as you watch me here on the video smashing my fists together it looks um, great as, it looks uh, really uh, yeah, good imagine a great hulk hulk fist smash that's what i'm doing if you're right listening now. and you want to know what it's like make two fists and then raise <laughs> one elbow high in the air like one elbow's oh. up high and then they smash into each other that's what it looks like and, right and he posits that once you've got one momentum going and the other hits that 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 all that kind of stuff that shoots out the side of that collision is mm-hmm. the story. Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's where the story lives. That's where the uncertainty comes. So the story isn't making them hit. The story is the result of that. Um, if we t- put that in improv parlance, it's setting up a platform and then tilting that platform and letting that momentum of everything slide off, drive the story for a bit, rather than just tilting and tilting and tilting and, and, yeah. and crashing and crashing, but actually letting and exploring all that comes out of that 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 impact and so once you run out of energy there then you smash the next thing or you give you give mm-hmm. the protagonist enough time to get an, uh, up enough energy to crash something else into it as well That's nice. be it That's an nice. internal thing or an external thing so it's uh, and he calls the gap the gap of expectation so uh, uh, Hans Gruber's expectation is that he's going to take over and uh, and rob the place McLean's is that he wants a Christmas party. The two of them smash together, and the story is that comes mm-hmm. out of that is is Die Hard. That's great. Um, so that's where I lean into. Your character is where the story is going to come from. If you commit to the character, if you commit to their motivation, if you commit to their wants and needs, uh, eventually story is going to come out of it. Um, yeah, and, and if you and if you th- remember that character is not just. Uh, <clears throat> how you move and how you talk, mm-hmm. but also what you want. Uh, yes. And if you remember that part of character, then you've got a story. It's there. Yeah. It's there yeah. just waiting for you, right? There's a nice, um, like uh, Aaron Sorkin. I don't know if you are a fan or not. Uh, yes. Aaron Sorkin wrote The West Wing and some other stuff. Uh, uh, great dialogue writer. But uh, when he writes scenes, his main thing that he focuses on, which is something that I think is super valuable for improvisers to think about too, mm-hmm. is just objective and obstacle. Is having making sure your character has an objective, and making sure the other that there's some obstacle to it that mm-hmm. they have to overcome. Yeah, and that's all you need to get a scene going. And the two, the distinction there is that the objective has to be uh, one has to be something they actually really want. Yes, it can't just be something they kind of want. So they have to really want it, and it has to be attainable. It yes. can't be an impossible objective. Otherwise, it's not. There's no a point. Fun scene. And then the obstacle actually has to be something that is difficult to overcome. It mm-hmm. has to be immovable or or, uh, or difficult to pass. Yes. So that it so that you get what you're describing there, which is those two forces smashing together, yeah. and then there's story now. Uh, but if if any of those aren't quite right, like if the objective is like I'm just I just need a, a sandwich. Yeah. It's like okay, well, it's not going to be a very uh, exciting yeah. scene because there's the what's the obstacle in the way? There's no bread. Oh, mm-hmm. I guess I won't have a sandwich. Uh, <laughs> but if you but if it's something you really want, and the obstacle is something really difficult to pass, it creates some drama. And that's one thing that's in McKee, like in the protagonist part of McKee, like when he says this is the protagonist. The protagonist, one of his rules is quite simply: the protagonist must have at least one chance to obtain 
the object of their desire, be it a person, a thing, a, um, an, an idea, but at least one chance, whether they get it or not, is up to you. Do you want to make it a happy ending, a tragic, whatever? But you need to be able to allow your characters to do that. And I can't count the times that improvisers state a goal that their characters want to do and then stifle themselves immediately. Yeah, um, exactly. and, and pull the stakes out of the scene completely. So then you're just talking about making a sandwich for five minutes, you know. Because you can't do the thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, they, and oftentimes it's individual improvisers who pull the legs out from under themselves. It's not someone else coming in, but people lower the stakes to the point where it, it doesn't really matter. And then you get a lot of glib prov, which again can be entertaining and fun, Sure, uh, yeah. but it's not going to drive a narrative. And I mean, it doesn't have to be life and death stakes all the time, but no bread has to matter to the character uh, yeah. for, for a certain reason. And if you, if you take the stakes out of that, then it just becomes glib. It doesn't have to be life and death, but if, if the obstacle is no bread, then it has to matter. It yeah, has to that, make a uh, difference. And the other the other side of that is the, uh, which is something, again, I see a lot uh, with newer improvisers, especially because they think it's the right thing to do because mm-hmm. it's about yes ending. And someone says, oh, I could really go for a sandwich. And they go, here's a sandwich. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. Or, oh, man, I could really go for a sandwich. Damn it. There's no bread. Yep. Oh, here I have some bread. Yeah. Oh, and instantly solving scene. the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just like giving it instead of no, 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 no. Now wait, wait, and let yep. let's see how bad, like what, how there's no bread affects them. I can't believe I, that's the example we're using. A sandwich. Come I on. know, right? Come but, up with uh, the next time you mention it, you got to use a new one. Okay, <laughs> but we, um, but that's a really, really important point because it, it, it both, uh, like going back to Joseph Campbell, all all through all the storytelling. Uh, that that we have, your hero is only going to be as interesting as the antagonists that they face, uh, that they have to over overcome, or the forces of antagonism that they have to overcome. It's why Batman's so good. Batman's a blank slate, but he has a, a gallery of villains that is so much fun, uh, mm-hmm. and that he must adapt to. You know, um, and so I think that if you, this is where reading something like Save the Cat and understanding the fact that, oh, probably at this point of the story, uh, you know, two-thirds the way through, the bad guy gets beaten or just gets beaten right yeah. at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, once I came back from McKee and I was AD of Impro Melbourne at the time, my instruction was, unless if you're an antagonist, unless you get beat, don't don't buckle. Don't go, mm-hmm. don't just go, oh, well, this is the point of the story where the hero has to win. So you throw yourself under the bus. And so we started getting really interesting stories because the, the heroes, heroes in, in um, uh, uh, quotation marks, protagonists yeah, yeah. didn't win all the time. Because, because they weren't making strong enough yeah. winning moves. They were, they yeah. were, they, the bad guy was like, what? That's how yeah. you're going to beat me with a sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, so I think we we also get to this point where we understand the role that we're playing in the story and then just buckle into what what's ex- what we think is expected in that story for that thing rather than, again, stay strong, play those motivations and make mm-hmm. the, the protagonist rise to meet you and, and, and beat you, you know? Makes the whole story better. I, although I remember one time uh, we were doing an action movie uh, we did a Lethal Christmas, an action Christmas movie. Yep. And Missy was the villain, and I was the hero. I think of this one. I can't. I'm pretty sure that's how it worked. Or, or she was a henchman, but I think she was the main villain, and I was like the cop. And we were in the final. Like we're doing this huge fight scene on like a rooftop, and I'd been beat up, and we're fighting, fist fighting, because all the guns are thrown off the building or whatever. And I was having trouble punching her. Because right. those of you who don't know, Missy and I are married. Uh, and be- the reason was during this show, she was pregnant. Right. And only, only I knew. <laughs> Nobody else in the cast knew. No one in the audience. Like, we were still in that, like, three-month waiting window before you tell people. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, oh, I really don't. I, I, has, I couldn't. I just couldn't bring myself to, like, beat her really bad. And so she was like, come on. Like trying to be extra villainous to make me fight her, and it was just like the whole story was like ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, and then what the fuck is Dave doing? Why is he not fighting? What is? 
Uh, and the whole story just went and just deflated in that yeah. last scene. And then afterwards, when I told everybody why I couldn't do it, they were uh, they thought it was hilarious uh, and kind of sweet. You know, kind yes, of sweet. It really. is very sweet. When you know the story behind it, it matters more, right? Uh, uh, which I think is a nice way to segue uh, into the story mm-hmm. behind it makes it matter more. Um, yeah. This is the thing that I think is is uh, the most important part of storytelling in improv is that it does make your scenes matter more. It makes your whole show matter more, mm-hmm. not just to you when you're in it, but to the audience. They feel that they notice that there's something happening here that means something. And when the show finishes, they're not just like that was funny. They're going that was beautiful, and yeah. they're clapping at this final moment where everything comes together and resolves, or this tragic moment where everybody falls apart and dies, whatever. However, it ends. Um, it gives them something other than that was funny. Yes. Or that was fun. They go, that was funny. And it was about, um, it was about never giving up or it was about uh, finding yourself in, mm-hmm. in hard moments. And they, they, they get something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's super important for that. I mean, I, I still remember the first time I did a scene in a story and had the audience in tears at the end. Yeah. And it was a fun, funny story as well, but the, the but the emotional impact was just as strong. If you can balance comedy and pathos and have the audience uh, 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 remembering, then it's it's absolutely perfect. You know yeah. that they they walk out and they feel that whole kind of thing, and and that goes back to that thing that I mentioned. Uh, the other day that I aspire to all the time. It's one of my checks. Uh, and it's the thing that uh, Randy Dixon was saying, where you should make a, a, an incomplete circle with your, uh, with your mm-hmm. formats or with your shows or with your stories and let the audience uh, invite them into the story and tell, to tell the story with you. So you're not trying yeah. to smash them over the head. And that's what I think when people turn to plotty kind of improv is they're trying to make sure that they, that they're hitting the points and the audience see them. But our audiences are so savvy that I'm at the point now where I'm like, how little can I show them and Mm -hmm. still have them come on board? Because they're so savvy. They understand story on an unconscious level so much. Everyone's reared on stories. So what, how little can we show and still have them, invest yeah. in our stories the, my, my shorthand phrase for that is always let the audience tell the story yes let the yeah. audience tell the story i'm going to give you some moving pieces and you're going to tell the story yeah uh and like what, what's that other one uh give them don't don't tell the audience four you tell them two plus two yeah and then in their head they go four mm-hmm. right and that's what you want you want them to go oh <gasps> Oh yeah. no! I see what's. Oh no! There's a there's a bomb there, and he doesn't know. And I yep. want them to to figure out the rest of the story. Yeah, uh, and that's what makes it such a it's a, it's a two person thing then at that point, or and, or and, you know, audience performer thing. Yeah, and and if you then put yourself in audience mode, because uh, uh, some people espouse that you need to be one foot in the audience and 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 keeping an eye on the show, and to an extent, I I agree with that. Um, and it's good to be aware of that, particularly in story. How much am I letting the audience do here, and and is it too much? Is it not enough? Um, it, that's a, a a really really good thing to do. But a really good way to assess that and get used to that is be an aware audience member. Whether you're watching film, theatre, uh, anything like that, what do those moments feel like for you? When is the piece asking you? to do the work and what does that look like on the screen or the stage what is the filmmaker asking you to put here what are the what is the two and two together and i think that helps you create a language and an understanding of what you can then do from the stage out to the audience mm-hmm. um so you've got to be in audience mode but not necessarily as an improviser but as an improviser watching other things be a mindful audience, like what is happening here? So if you watch a movie or watch a TV show and you enjoy it, watch it again and see and and start looking for the things that they're asking you, the audience, to do um, and, and, mm. and the connections mm-hmm. that they're asking you to make. That's because great. once yeah. you can articulate those for yourself, then you can start offering those in your own stories as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's a really good way to kind of research something is – Find something you love and then just break it open. See how it works, you know? Yeah. 
I remember when I first um, when I was first really getting into to storytelling, like reading Joseph Campbell and everything. And uh, I walked into somebody's house and they had Fat Albert on the TV, the yeah. movie, the movie version, the live action Fat Albert. Mm-hmm. And I looked over at it and I, I hadn't seen the movie before and I was watching whatever part they're at. And I was like, okay, okay. And I was like, next should be like the introduction of the goddess part of the story. Yeah. Uh, and then Fat Albert looks across the soccer field and he's like, hey. <laughs> and then there's this beautiful cheerleader and i was like wow that was like right on go fat albert in the joseph campbell platforms <laughs> not to say it the movie's any good but no. that was just a, that was yeah. just a you can little, hit all the like, plot points but you still got to tell a good story <laughs> yeah exactly and that i think is a huge distinction between plot and story yeah all stories have those plot points mm-hmm. but not all stories are good stories and, and there's we, so much more right if we go back to talking about formats, and I think this is, uh, I mean, oftentimes stories and formats are linked, is oftentimes people create genre formats with signposts along the way as plot points that you have to hit. And their assessment of whether you're successful in that genre or that story is if you hit each particular one. But that's just hitting plot points. is not telling a good story. So, you yeah. know, we, we want to assess from a story's point of view, and that might give your cast a good guidance through who don't have an understanding of that type of plot point, but often, oftentimes it's going to put take them out of the story because they're trying to hit the, the points. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just want to touch one more time on what you're saying about knowing what the audience is thinking when they're watching a mm-hmm. story, like by recognizing what you're thinking when you're watching stories, because uh, that is, I think, a huge... Uh, skill and we've we've kind of mentioned it with the idea of like it makes you a better listener just understanding story because you're watching for those things like you're looking for those story offers in a different way and you know what and, and knowing what the audience is thinking about the moment and where this narrative is going gives you so many offers to make yes right? like now like you have so many choices you could make in whatever direction you want to go mm-hmm. and whatever direction your partners and scene, scene partners are going like uh we just did our martin mcdonough show recently and uh big thing with martin mcdonough is the last act gets really weird and twisted and I don't know, like it's all all these big reveals and stuff yep and so knowing that the uh, what the audience thinks is about to happen means you can make a huge twist mm-hmm. that still works and takes the audience on a <gasps> what like huge surprise while staying within the story because you're there going oh they think i'm gonna shoot jason at this moment yeah but then i'm gonna turn the gun to myself and they're gonna think i'm gonna shoot myself and then i'm gonna put the gun away and they're gonna go what <laughs> all right like you could you have the ability to to take them on that journey because you're you're watching from their perspective. Yeah. yeah, and you're not watching in the moment, but you understand, because this is the thing, in the moment you're fully in the scene, but because you've taken the time to digest and understand those those things uh, and you know those things uh, uh, and you can articulate them as yourself, then you kind of are out in the audience. I, I think yeah, that, it's, uh, there's this it's that direction to saying- be... Oh, it's just it's that thing I was saying like about grammar before uh, in yes. like one of the other part, like with genre and grammar. Like storytelling is like a grammar; it's a way of of speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't. When you're speaking on stage, I don't have to con- like concentrate on the English language and like understand the words you're saying. I just know the words you're saying. Yeah. So in that moment, I just know what's happening in the story. It's great. Yeah. This is great. And then I'm going to change it here. Whoa. Yeah. So you can yeah. appreciate the moves you're making inside the story from an audience point of view, but you're not out. You're not. Yeah, I'm not out of, of my. Yeah. I'm not in my head thinking. Okay, the story is going in this direction. It's just yeah. I know what the story. Is. I just know it. Yeah. yeah, that's a great, great point and, to make. Uh, yeah, and I think there's so much there that 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 you can break down. And and again, this is kind of in the the research for if you are doing a genre format or something like that. These are the things. These are the languages that you want to get. You know, what is that particular auteur or that particular style or genre? asking of the audience what are the questions that it asks because the audience come to that particular style or genre prepared to make those leaps because they already know that language immediately Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, exactly i had a question for you i was watching uh fight club last night good movie Uh, uh great movie and again asking myself all of these questions i hadn't seen it for over a decade or so 
uh, but asking myself all of these questions of what leaps is Fincher asking me to make here and there, knowing, mm-hmm. of course, the outcome of the film and, and, and looking for all the clues all the way through the film and where they're planted and stuff like that. And it made for a really interesting rewatch of it. My question, though, is their house is on Paper Street. Yeah. And and it was that was your theatre on actual Paper Street or is your Paper Street theatre a homage to uh, Fight Club? So uh, you're you're not the first to notice the the uh, connection to Fight Club, yes. but it's not actually an homage to Fight Club. It's right. An, it's a reference to where Fight Club got their reference from. Okay. <clears throat> so what people don't know is that a Paper Street is a thing. It is a term used by uh, city planners, maybe, or map makers, or anyone that works with mapping out cities. Mm -hmm. Uh, A paper street is a street that appears on a map because it was either meant to be built there, uh, but never got built, or used to exist there, but now has been taken out. Oh, wonderful. And so they call them a paper street because it exists on paper, but in the real world it doesn't. Right. And so the reference in Fight Club is Paper Street and the yes, Paper of Street course. Soap Company. He doesn't exist. He's not yeah. a real person, right? Yeah. Uh, but on paper he exists. So, so, so that's the, the, the Fight Club reference. And that was the same reference I was, I was leaning into with Paper Street Theater is yeah. that it's theater, but it's, there's not actually there's no script there so it's not really yeah. theater we're making it up and so that was like the the thing of of, of paper street theater yeah but it does have that connection to fight club and, and yeah. uh, the more astute fight club fans do notice yeah i was just i was and like, i am oh. a fight club fan so yeah. i mean i noticed yeah. i noticed yeah. it's uh mm-hmm. how wonderful yeah and and yeah wonderful for the movie and the context the context of improv as well thanks for clearing that up for me i was just watching i was like hey last paper night. street theater yeah and i yeah, yeah i know yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Cool. Uh, yeah. So uh, back to storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Fight but, Club. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the reason I brought that up is I, I so enjoyed rewatching Fight Club last night because I was doing it f- from that point of view. I was doing that f- to educate myself, if you know what I mean. Taking something sure. that I that I, I have enjoyed in the past and love and, and rewatching it for technique, for storytelling technique, for yeah. uh, for character, for drive, for the for the clues. And all of that just kind of seeps in. Uh, into the storyteller's brain. So they then become a part of the palette that we can paint from. And I think that's a a great um, exercise to practice your storytelling Mm -hmm. is to watch something you know uh, for the storytelling part of it. Like, how are they telling this story? I know the story, but how are they telling the story? Or read a book that you love. Mm -hmm. Like, Like, I have, like, some books that I read on cycles, like... Every like couple of years, I read yep. the books, the, all the whole series of you know, like the Harry Potter series. I like to read once in a while because it's just yep. a nice, lighthearted romp. Um, and so I have certain books that I read, but I have lots of movies that I just like to watch the same movie again, mm-hmm. uh, and just sort of like uh, to to see them and being able to look at it again when you're not so swept up by the first viewing and the emotional story. Like you're you're in the story the first time. Yeah. The second time you can watch it from that theory standpoint and be like, okay, so how did they make me feel like that so well? Mm-hmm. Like they really got me like at the end of the Lego movie, like the way <laughs> the end of the Lego movie makes me cry. I can't like it is so perfectly set yeah. up through that whole film of the Mr. Business and the 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 way the characters are all speaking like they're kids and you don't quite realize that a kid is doing it all until the end and then the yeah. dad is Mr. Ben like all that kind of comes together in that perfect all the themes they've been setting up like watching that again like I still cry every time but yeah but I now understand how and why I'm crying. Yes, and that's the important thing for us, the improviser or the storytelling, to know because we've yeah. got the tools there but and we understand the why. So when we're trying to tell stories, it's there. We're not trying to replicate X and Y, but it's you just, just there know as, it. as, a, as, a, as a part of it. Um, yeah, and, I, and again, yeah, I really do stress watching something uh, over and over again mm-hmm. multiple times to really kind of digest the – the, the subtle moves within the story mm-hmm. that you didn't notice the first or second or third time. Yeah. Uh, but then on the fourth time, you're like, oh, that's where they set it up. Yeah. And that's why I know. Oh, got it. Right. Like that. That stuff is very, very, very nice. Yeah. It's so fantastic 
it's so fantastic when you can appreciate it from a storytelling point of view, not just yeah. from a cinematic or, or comedic or um, or theatrical point I mean, of view. If you think about it, it's like if you're a musician, uh, you don't just listen to a song once and be yeah. like, eh, I'm good, I got it. I get the I get the mm-hmm. song now. It's like no 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 no. You want to listen to it again and yeah. listen to it again and again until you've really digested where the bridge is, what the bridge is, how how it sounds, what the chorus is like, what the lyrics yeah. actually mean, and, and and how they tie in with the, with the arc of the the crescendo of the music. Like you want to listen to it over and over again to really digest it. Mm-hmm. And as storytellers, if you want to tell stories, that's how you got to digest your storytelling. You got to just. Yeah. Like people who watch a movie once and say, I'm never going to watch it again. It's like, okay, well, you're not a storyteller. I guess you're just a, you just like being told stories. Yes. And stories that are stories that are five minutes long or half an hour long. We're not necessarily talking about storytelling as being hour long shows, right? We're not yeah, necessarily yeah, talking about uh, stories. Stories can be your two minute scene, your three minute scene. They can have stakes. They can have pathos. They can they can have things that matter to the characters. So when we talk about story, we're not necessarily always talking about a long-form show. We're talking about scenes within a Herald. We're talking about scenes over the arc of a Herald. If you're touching base with a story, you know, two or three times, how far apart can you have those 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 mm-hmm. touch bases yeah. and make the audience do the work of filling those gaps in? Um, yeah, I that's think that's... I spent a lot of time stressing that... Uh, that allowing the story to happen between the scenes, like mm-hmm. what happened in the intermediate time, that is the story. Like that's so much of the story is there. How much can you put in there? Yeah. I'm always trying to encourage improvisers who are starting out with narrative when they're jumping from scene to scene to play the scene after the scene that they would have the impulse to jump to. Uh, yeah, so like you're like, okay, we got to jump to the scene in the car. It's like, no, 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 no. no. Jump one more scene. scene yeah, the yeah. Scene What's where that scene now? Yeah, yeah, that's the good one. And then and let us imagine the car. Right? Yeah, 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 because we mm-hmm. uh, we're trained to be uh, editors. You know, we're we're trained by yeah. by by TV by film. We know what that means. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, what's uh, understanding comics? You ever read Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud? No, I don't. I didn't. Have uh, a- it's a great if you're a comic book fan. It's a really good Love read, uh, and it's just about c- comics and how they work. But the mm-hmm. one point I, I want to make from that book that uh, is about the panels. And the line between the pictures mm-hmm. and how that line, that, that separator between the two panels is where everything happens. Yes. You see the picture of an apple. You see a picture of somebody smiling. You see a picture of an apple with a bite taken out of it. And you go, that guy ate the apple. Right? Yeah. Like you put that all together. Yeah. I just gave you these three pictures. Uh, and like that editing and on the action happening between the panels is uh, something I think is super, super good. And back to that idea of like letting the audience tell the story yep. uh, and only giving them half the circle. It's like, let them in, let them, let them imagine that car ride. Yeah. Cause the car ride they're going to imagine is better than the car ride you were going to do. Yeah. And like same with like monsters and stuff like like the, we mentioned Lovecraft uh, on another podcast. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite person, uh, <laughs> but about monsters and the, what made his monsters so good is that they were indescribable. Mm. And so he would describe this indescribable thing, and then I would imagine the most terrifying monster I could imagine, and it's way worse than what he was going to tell me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about before we yes, get sir. out of here because we are we are getting. Getting near the end here. Mm-hmm. Not that we have like a time limit. No one of us are doing anything. But um, uh, one more thing I want to touch on, which is the idea of theme. Because yes. we've mentioned it. We've said the word. We, we've referenced it as part of story. Um, so like, how how important do you think theme is to storytelling? And as a storyteller, understanding story and thinking about story. I think that it is of utmost importance. Uh, but I... Theme is not going to make itself clear to us uh, until uh, midway yeah, yeah. through to the, if, the if show. If that, maybe not until yeah. like the very last line of the whole mo- the whole scene, and you yeah. say the words, and you go, oh, "That's what it was about." And so uh, I yeah, think but- that I think that that's the realization that we're aiming for in a good story is to say that story. This is what happened in the story, but this is what that story was about. And if you can, at the end of your story, be it a two-minute scene, uh, an hour-long, a two-act play, 
have those two paths that meet up at the end, then you've you've managed to succeed in telling an interesting story. If you can go, yeah. this is what the story is, but this is what it was actually about. Um, yeah, and theme is the thing that I'm like always trying to play with as an improviser. Yes, and uh, again with that thing we talked about in the last episode of the improviser's mind. Um, the idea of like every offer, it's now like rewritten everything I was thinking and I just reimagined. So like I have a theme that I think, oh, I think I know what this is about. And I play from that point until it's not about that. And they go, oh, wait, it wasn't about that anymore. Now Mm -hmm. it's about that. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, And and I'm constantly thinking about it. And there's um, Craig Mason who um, wrote um, Chernobyl as well as a bunch of uh, shitty comedy movies. But he wrote Chernobyl uh, and won won an award for it. Great great screenwriter he he did a, 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 a episode of their, his podcast script notes that he does with john august talking about storytelling and one point he stresses a lot his themes and conf- and and uh um the thesis of the show and the antithesis of the show yes. and then the synergy or the synthesis where they both where they all both come together uh and so i think about that a lot when i'm on stage is the idea of like what are the two kind of opposing forces in this show, these opposing ideas that we're exploring. Yes. Like, like, um, are we exploring family? Uh, and then we're exploring music. Cool. Okay. So those are the two worlds we're kind of living in. Yep. And then the end we're going to, when those two synthesize, then you get that really big punch of like, Oh, family and music family is music. And yeah. then you've just written the book, the, the story Coco. <laughs> um, uh, right. Which, which is, which is a great example of that, that sort of thesis antithesis. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm always thinking about that sort of stuff and rarely does it work perfectly in an improv show where, you know, like these are the two themes we're exploring. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm trying, I'm always looking at that deeper level cause that's where I find the most as a, as a storyteller, the most uh, fuel for my stories. It's like, oh, we're exploring these two themes. Yeah, and again, it leans back into something we've spoken about in other podcasts, which is subtext. Your story oh, yeah. should have a subtext to it the whole way through, uh, and and a, a rich vein of subject as well. And and less experienced improvisers will will feel the electricity of that subtext bubbling away and call it to the actual text and the scene and that kind of diffuses it a little bit more uh, or or, it takes the power away from it. So, you know, that subtext is so rich and that's what the audience are investing into and that's where they can hang their hat and then start telling the the story with you. Uh, So if you take that subtext and you you make it the scene or the story, then you're letting the air out of that a little bit and robbing yourself of of that along the way. So if you (laughs) find that subtext there... Don't come in and call it out. Don't let it bubble away. Let it fester. That's that's where you're going to find these these ideas from these more nebulous kind of thematic ideas from. But if you're constantly yeah. robbing yourself of, of of that, then it's it, it's going to take it away. Yeah. Nice. Wow. <laughs> wow. Just like Star Wars. Just like Star Wars. <laughs> Luke Piewalker <laughs> hopped into that oven and. <laughs> <laughs> oh funny um cool uh well i think i think that's a great place to to leave it there yeah um, just the the idea of, of theme bringing it all home because uh, like yeah and I, and I think i guess i would encourage improvisers who are afraid of story or who think it's hard and it's difficult uh, I think the 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 funny thing about story is that we all know it so well because we watch so many movies, TV shows, read so many books that it's like an intrinsic part of our lives. We feel it. We know when a story worked. Um, and all we, you and I do when we like research and study storytelling is we're just giving ourselves uh, language to discuss it afterwards. Yes. So that we can like 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 name it and theorize about it. But then when we get on stage, the, the, that language in our head helps us listen better and watch better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help us make choices better. Because there's some great narrative improvisers that have no idea about anything about structure. They just yep. have an impulse and they go with it and it makes a perfect story and they just do that. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah, that, that's what I would encourage. It's like, it's not as hard as you think it is. It, you already know how to do it. We're just, and- we're just finding words. And I would encourage people to take the pressure off themselves to tell the story because the audience comes into the building wanting to tell a story with you. That's mm-hmm. why they're there. 
They 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 know that you're improvising, so they want to invest in your stories. So you have to do less work than you think you do. Yeah. Um, you you just have to present them with something that they can invest in, rather than hit them over the head with a style or a, or or a, or a something. You know. So realize how little work you have to do because your audience is on your side and so articulate about the story the the audience are probably one step ahead of you in the story mm-hmm. because oh, they're they're sitting in the dark and they have no pressure on them you know uh, so understand that the audience are there to work with you so ha- you know find the <laughs> way that that you can make that work rather than just bash them over the head with stuff all the time yeah and if you don't think people are always wanting to tell stories and are all like some some people might be having that thought of like yeah but they're coming to a comedy show they just want to laugh. Yeah. Um but just imagine what happens when a Roomba gets stuck in a corner of a room and you look over at that electric that that robot vacuum stuck in a corner and you see it and your first thought is oh poor guy. <laughs> You're telling a story. You're making up a story about a robot vacuum that's stuck in a corner. Yeah. It's not a person. It's just a thing. But you can't not see it as a person trapped and you want to save it and help it. And yeah. that's how everybody is all the time. And when they're watching a show, they they came to a comedy show. But if you start telling them a story, they're going to go, oh, yeah, I know stories. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, sweet. Look at that. Cool, man. Yeah, we did it. Nice work. We uh, did how, it. Thank you, you so much for uh, for tuning in. Uh, if you are interested in other pro- projects I have going on, uh, I have a two other podcasts. Uh, one is called How About This with uh, Rick Brown, a great improviser. Uh, Carl McConnell, another great improviser. Most of you will know Rick from uh, festivals and stuff around the place. It's just three guys talking about stuff. It's our audio <laughs> diary. And the other one is a, a fiction, a microfiction project project I have going on called The Dictionary of Moments, where I write three microfiction stories about uh, f- and read them on the podcast for about five minutes a story um, based off a single word. So it's my way of kind of improvising with myself, really. I love it. It's um, one of my favorite podcasts to listen oh, to. Thank you, sir. Um, so yeah, please jump on board with those things. And where can people find you? Dave Morris. Uh, you can find me DaveMorris.tv. They'll have uh, links to everything that I do up there. Um, right now, I don't have any podcasts going on. There's just stuff that I'm doing. I'm just doing stuff. Doing uh, stuff. This is my favorite thing that I'm doing right now. Uh, but I have yeah. one question for you before we go. Yes, sir. Which is, uh, what was Darth Vader's name in this Luke Pywalker story? Are, are you ready for this? Because it's going to take you. It's going to blindside you. <laughs> okay. Darth Froglegs. And he, the top half, <laughs> the top half of him was exactly as Darth Vader looked, but he had just little Kermit legs out the bottom, two little green legs bowed out in the middle. Oh my god! Darth, I was not ready for that. I told you it's going to blindside you. <laughs> it looks hilarious. I'm crying. I'm crying. It's so funny. Oh.